Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Mary Mulcahy. Um, I'm at Tulane in New Orleans. And today I have the huge privilege of speaking with Dr. LaProd. He's a, an incredible uh, sports medicine and knee surgeon at Vail Sedman Clinic. He's chief medical officer at the Sedman Philippon Research Institute and co-director of the Sports Medicine Fellowship Program. Dr. LaProd was a senior author on a paper entitled The Role of Blood Flow Restriction Therapy Following Knee Surgery Expert Opinion, which was published in the Arthroscopy Journal in August 2018. His co-authors include Nicholas uh, DiFilippo, Mitchell Kennedy, Zach Amon, Andrew Bernardson, and Luke O'Brien. Thank you so much, Dr. LaProd, for being here, and uh, I'm really looking forward to our discussion. So blood flow restriction therapy, I really feel like, has been very popular in sports medicine, at least as of late. Is this a new concept? Well, first off, Mary, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And in terms of the theory behind blood flow restriction, it really started in Japan in the 1970s. And they were applying tourniquets to legs, and it wasn't really sophisticated. And it really wasn't until the early 2000s when we had third-generation tourniquets that there was a lot more precision and safety that this has really taken off. And it first started out mainly with military limb salvage patients. It was Johnny Owens that started it. And then people started looking at higher-level athletes and the potential to, one, prevent them from having as much atrophy. And the second thing is to try to get them stronger quicker. And that's when it's taken off more into the sports medicine realm. But it's been around for a while, but it's just kind of got into our specialty just in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's really amazing, that evolution. And why do you think this treatment is really beneficial for our patients? The reason I think that it works is that it creates an environment that's similar to somebody that can really work hard. So if you have a patient that's had a complex surgery and we really can't stress them too much or have them weight bear, if you can have them do some type of exercises which would simulate the anaerobic environment where their muscle cells are being tricked basically into thinking that they're working really hard, that may help the muscles who have less atrophy and, and keep up their baseline strength a lot better. That's really, it's a very cool concept. And I mean, for those of us that really are not familiar with how this works, can you explain how this therapy is even performed, like the type of tourniquet, you know, what the, what does the patient have to do, and um, just kind of some of the logistics behind this? So the logistics are that you have to have a tourniquet that can monitor your arterial blood flow and the overall pressure, because what the desired amount of pressure that we want in the tourniquet is about 80% of the arterial occlusion pressure. So you'd be cutting off all the venous outflow, but still having some arterial inflow. And if you have it too tight, you won't have the benefit. And if it's too loose, you won't have the benefit. And basically, the, the tourniquets that work best are the ones that have a Doppler ultrasound built into it. So you can have the patient lying down in a resting position. You can see what their arterial pressure is, and then you can kind of individualize it so each patient can be treated based on their own pressure rather than having a generic pressure that you'd apply to everybody, and it probably wouldn't work as well. Wow. And are there, I mean, I guess a key point that, that you just brought up is that this is a very special type of tourniquet. This is not the tourniquet that we use for our ACLs, right? This is a very special tourniquet, certainly something that has to be like purchased by the group and uh, become familiar with how that works. And Correct. what about the types of exercises that patients are going to do? Are there specific types or like categories of exercises that they'll do during the blood flow restriction therapy? Most of the time we're using this in patients that are non-weight-bearing. And when you're non-weight-bearing for 
up to three weeks, you can lose 20 to 30% of your overall muscle mass. So those are the ones that we're targeting more and they can't do a lot of strenuous exercises. They may do things like a straight leg raise using the tourniquet and BFR, or they may be just doing some simple exercises like a, a stationary bike or just quad activation exercises, some other patients. And, and with those, hopefully there's enough of a you know, low level resistance that's going on that they can actually stimulate their, their muscle cells not to, to atrophy as much. Right. Wow. So it's, I mean, it's amazing that even though those very low load type of exercises performed with blood flow restriction therapy can have that type of impact. How do you know this, as you discussed early on, like this is something that really has come into sports medicine, certainly in the U.S. over the past couple of years. When did you personally decide to start using BFR in your practice? I, I really hadn't heard much about it until about a year ago. And I was at a meeting where somebody was speaking on it. I can't remember who it is, unfortunately. And from that lecture, it sounded almost too good to be true. So I went and pulled a lot of literature and started investigating it. And then we worked with our therapists here to start using it. And although the literature is still difficult to interpret because there's some studies that show it works and some show it doesn't, we've seen some patients that have done remarkably well that have struggled for a long period of time postoperatively in terms of building up their muscle mass. And we've also seen patients like root repair patients that we keep non-weight bearing for six weeks where when they use it, thigh atrophy is dramatically less than in patients that don't use it. And they can do a straight leg raise more efficiently and they don't have all the atrophy. And when they start really gait, they have better absorption. So they're, they're functioning better. I think the biggest thing going forward will be which patients need it more than others and what type of exercises and the timing and, and duration, because there really isn't anything in the literature that tells us precisely how long we have to use it and when we start it. Those are all excellent points and definitely questions that I thought about as I was reading the article. You mentioned already that, at least currently in your practice, you're using this primarily in patients who are non-weight-bearing. But at what point do you recommend that the BFR be incorporated? Do you ever do anything pre-op or if it's only post-op, at what point in their post-op course do you incorporate that? We found out that we can pretty much start this as soon as the anesthesia blocks are out. If a patient has a femoral nerve block or an adductor block or a sciatic block, we don't want to use it because we don't want to mask anything that we could be doing with the tourniquet. But once the blocks are out and they can feel everything normally, we'll start it on postoperative day two or three. And usually we'll use it through the first two weeks and kind of go from there to see if we need to keep using it or if the patients are having any benefit from it. The other patients that we'll see, Mary, are, are maybe six months out from a multi-ligament surgery and they're grafting are healing great, but their thigh circumference is down like six or seven centimeters. So you know it's going to take forever for them to get their strength back. And those are some of the patients that we've also had them start seeing therapists for BFR. And in some of those patients, they do make some rather significant gains in their overall thigh circumference. Um, some of them don't, but some of them do that I think are definitely benefiting from the BFR rather than you know struggling for months trying to get their, their thigh muscle mass back. Yeah. So it's kind of those two groups. And when you do incorporate BFR, whether it's in that post-op patient, two or three days post-op, or the, you know, the multi-leg who's maybe six months out, are they doing this every day? Or are they doing it just a couple of times a week? So it what, has to be done thing? by a therapist. So it's not, yeah. not something somebody can do at home. I know that there's some knockoffs where some of the, the guys in the gym will try to use something similar and not recommended that patients do it on their own because we want to ensure that they have the correct position of the tourniquet and make sure also that the 
when occlusion pressure is, is correct for them. But in general, we're trying to use it in patients uh, starting immediately after surgery and then continuing in, until a lot of times, you know, we have patients from out of town, so we can't use it as much, but we try to, to coordinate with them having therapy once they get back home. And we've had a few therapists that have become knowledgeable about BFR because of their surgery here with us. And they've gone on and become certified and they're doing it in their patients and they feel there's a benefit to it too. So I think there's kind of a cascade effect with it as, as more people understand what's going on with it. Right. Well, it's very impressive. I bet it's like catching on quickly. They see exactly how effective it can be. I guess at this point, it's hard to know really how long those benefits are maintained, right? I mean, you, you've just been doing it routinely in your practice for for the past year. But have you, do you get a sense on patients that have ha- have used it early on? Like, have they, you know, maintained those benefits? Did they get back quicker? What have you seen in that regard? My impression is the ones that are benefiting from it don't have as much thiatrophy, and they seem to be able to recover faster in terms of weaning off of crutches and getting back to activities. So they have better absorption, where they can walk downhill, walk downstairs sooner. It's tough to determine the long-term implications because the main goal of BFR is to prevent the muscle atrophy and to get the strength back. So once their strength is back, I don't think we're going to see a drop-off in their overall strength. I think those are the people that get back to normal activities. This is more of an adjunct-type treatment to ensure that people don't have as much weakness and can't function as well. So it can be either in a high-level athlete, but it can also be in a grandmother who has a root repair and she wants to get back to gardening and things like that, where if she doesn't have the atrophy, she can get out and walk and do her shopping and things like that. So I think we're benefiting all sorts of people in terms of getting them back to activity sooner, um, more than looking at the long-term implications of of whether it's, it's still there. Yeah, excellent point. And then what's your advice for anyone who might be interested in incorporating blood flow restriction therapy into their practice? I think the advice is to investigate it and look at the literature, look at how it's done, because a lot of times you have to talk to your patients and convince them that this may be something that will benefit them. Some insurance companies cover it, but some don't. And I know that some of the patients that aren't covered notice a benefit, but they're paying $180 a session to use BFR. So you want to make sure that you're educated also to let the patient know what the goals are. So we're doing a good thing for them. And then, you know, then find out the therapist in your area or get your therapist educated to to look at the techniques that are the the third generation um, tourniquets and, and making sure that they know how to do it correctly. So using all that information is important. That's kind of how we did it. Is I educated myself first to make sure it was something that I, it was something that would benefit our patients and then making sure that our, our therapists bought in. And then right now we have over 20 therapists that are certified in it because we feel that it is making some benefit in terms of getting patients back to activity sooner. Yeah, and that's an excellent point that you've said actually a few times throughout is that these therapists are certified, right? They're trained. And so they really know how to perform this, this therapy safely for the patient. Yeah, that's that's important because they need to know where to put the tourniquet on the limb. They have to know how to get the correct limb occlusion pressure and also to, you know, determine what type of exercises you want to do for that particular surgery or post-operative condition. So I, I think it's important to, to go through the training so you know what to do and how to apply it properly. And that's probably as true as patients that are being paid for by commercial insurance, but also for patients that are cash paid. You want to make sure you're doing it correctly and get the full benefit of it. And I think going through a class and being certified is important to make sure that we're doing it right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Dr. LaProd, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today about this really exciting therapy. Uh, Dr. LaProd's article entitled The Role of Blood Flow Restriction Therapy Following Knee Surgery 
expert opinion can be found in the August 2018 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mary. Have a good night. You too.